Good morning and welcome to Unsafe Space, uh, to the Daily Kefevi Show with Carter and Carrie. Today is Tuesday, September 17th, and we're happy that you're joining us. We have a lot to talk about and we're going to try to get it done in a concise episode today. Although I'm really worked up about a few things. And as I told Carter, I joined a pyramid scheme last night and I'm at the top of a small pyramid now of one person. Carrie, uh... (laughs) This is going to sound, I don't really care what it sounds like. It's going to sound misogynistic and 1940s or whatever, but your future husband, uh, you need to give him all of your income and you get an allowance. <laughs> look, uh, I don't, look, Carter. Your just, pyramid scheme dabbling, just it's just it's got disaster written all over it. But just allow me to tell you about these exciting nope. new products. <laughs> <laughs> I will not allow you to tell me about your exciting new products, Carrie. (laughs) I just went there. Go ahead. Anyway, we can move on. (laughs) Yeah, let's move on. We have important stuff to talk about. Your 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 reputation will suffer if we continue to have this conversation. So let's move on. (laughs) Oh gosh. Okay. You're worked up about something, which is my favorite state for you to be in. So. I feel like we're probably going to continue to come back to this school issue quite a bit. Um, You know, we've done, we've tackled the New York city school stuff that's going on twice, at least twice on deprogrammed. And I think we've talked about another time on Confefi, but it's just, this is something that's amping up. My old ideology is moved, has moved out of colleges. We know this. Um, Back when I was indoctrinated, I was indoctrinated at Duke uh, in the year you know, in the year 2000, does anybody remember that Conan O'Brien sketch? Anyway, I was indoctrinated like 96 to 2000, 97 to 2000. And um, um, back then, I think it was, you didn't see it in the public. You didn't see it in elementary schools and in middle schools like you do today. And so it's continuing to move um, into the curriculum and it's continuing to trickle downwards so that it's now in kindergarten and for people who think that this is just New York and California, one of the articles we're going to talk about kind of touches on other states that this is moving into. So I, I saw a, a, a friend of mine, Stephen, shared a couple of these articles with me at the same time. And it just, they're all talking, it's all part of the same thing. And yeah. So, I mean, the main article that you shared with me, Carrie, I actually didn't have time for the one to read the one you just shared a little while ago, but the main one you shared is this one in the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> when the culture war comes for the kids. And I don't, I don't know that it's worth walking through this entire article. It is long. It is rambling. It's, it, I don't know if this, I think this is kind of typical for the Atlantic. It's like, it's a slog to get through because you just feel like, get to the point and shut the hell up person writing. But um but it's very worth it once you get once you get down into like part three or four (laughs) it is although i i would like to say something i started out reading this i didn't like this guy so this article is just at a high level this is about a parent and he's telling the saga of his child's journey through preschool all the way through middle school in the new york city school system and he and his wife as parents trying to navigate that and do what's best for their child and blah, blah, blah. 
I didn't like this guy basically from paragraph one. His first sentence is, to be a parent is to be compromised. I, I disagree with that. No, it, not if you have good values, it's not. You pledge an allegiance to justice for all when you swear the private attachments can rhyme with public good, but when the choice comes down to your child or an abstraction, even the well-being of children you don't know, you'll betray your principles to the fierce unfairness of love. Uh, love isn't unfair. You don't have to betray your principles to be a parent. You're just wrong. This person's premises are just wrong. Here's they what are, I like about he, it, though. Huh? Let me interject. I, there are lots of things about this guy I didn't like either. But I think that's good because if someone like this, who is heavily entrenched in this ideology has found problems with it and is suddenly coming. This is, to me, more evidence of a backlash brewing, perhaps. Yes, yes, I, I agree. He is, the, he is the stereotypical white progressive Trump derangement syndrome, like literally, Trump derangement syndrome liberal who is looking at this going, wait a minute, I don't, I don't like the new social justice ideology of the left. And he, he talks about how it's taken over various schools and blah, 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 and some of the things they do and how it's detrimental to, to kids and how it's detrimental to uh, marginalized kids in particular. And, and that's, all, that's all fine. I guess, I, I know this probably isn't the direction you want to take the conversation, but I, I want to touch on it at least for a minute, Carrie. Because I care about these kids, I, I care about this issue. This is, this is killing children. It's destroying their futures. It's a horrible, horrible, like I care about this. I also care that we don't let liberals get away with this. He is acting like a lot of liberals, like, oh, you guys just took it too far. This isn't where we wanted to go. It's like, it went too far somehow. There's somehow, this, the, these, these cultural Marxists, these identitarians, this intersectionality is, is, um, is not what we've been, pre like, we've been pushing, putting forward. It's not, it's not liberal. And it's not classical liberal, like, class but classical liberal is like 100 years old. It is modern liberal. It's the liberal that I've known my entire life, and I'm 45. He, liberal has, liberals accepted premises which are false. They, be, they, they built their belief system on false premises. And the only thing the social justice people do is implement them more consistently. That's all that this is. And I don't think we should get the, I don't think we should let liberals get away with saying, oh, we, we didn't have a part of this. This is some outside thing that's come in. No, you built the foundations for this. When you use words like equality without understanding what they mean, he has this whole dichotomy of like democracy versus meritocracy. Those things aren't opposites. He doesn't use democracy in any, any meaningful way. He doesn't even seem to understand what it means. He mislabels things. He holds these ideas as floating abstractions without very concrete understanding of what they mean and banties them about because they sound virtuous without really understanding what they are. And he's laid the foundation for this. He is culpable for the thing that he is railing against. And all liberals are culpable for this. And I'm not like, this isn't like go to hell liberals. This is like, you guys got to wake up and understand that it, these ideas are an extension of what you have been pushing. They're not new. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, that was a rant, but it oh, pisses me off. Well, here's one thing I'm gonna say. Yes, I agree. I do lay this at the feet of liberals like myself because at least in my case, I, and I was, part of, I was part of the ideology, I thought it was liberalism, I was wrapped up in it. 
but I will say this, you said, you know, he doesn't get to say, or he's acting as if they took it too far. Well, he addresses that point on right here and I actually like this paragraph. He says, I asked myself if I was moving to the wrong side of a great moral cause because its tone was too loud or because it shook loose what I didn't want to give up. It took me a long time to see that it took me a long time to see that the new progressivism didn't just carry my own politics further than I liked. It was actually hostile to principles without which I don't believe democracy can survive. Liberals are always slow to realize that there can be friendly, idealistic people who have little use for liberal values. That I just let me say something about this before you interject. Yeah. This to me is exactly why this is so insidious is because liberals like myself and like like a lot of well-intentioned people who've gotten pulled into this crap and are preaching it and are and are or or standing by while their kids are being indoctrinated um they are slow to realize there can be friendly idealistic people who have little use for liberal values yes and they're also slow to realize that something can have a good name and sound good and have good and sound like it's built with good intent and be insidious and evil Yes, um, I would say so. One of the, I think this is an opportunity for liberals, and I know you considered yourself a liberal. I mean, you may still consider yourself a liberal. It's an opportunity for liberals to question why. So I, I disagree with that sentence. He said the new progressivism isn't just my stuff taken too far. Yes, it is your stuff taken too far. He doesn't get it. It is his values taken too far. That's what it is. This is an opportunity for liberals to step back and question the foundations that they built things on. I'll, I'll throw out two obvious ones that he used. Well, one of them he uses a lot. Equality. Equality does not exist. When we used to use the word equality as a nation a long time ago, it was in relation to equality before the law. Equality does not exist in any other context. Even getting equality before the law is quite difficult and a noble pursuit of a country. But equality as such doesn't exist. And to hold that up as a virtue and something to be achieved is what leads to social justice. It's one of the paths. This idea that profit is dirty and bad and evil, that's from the left. Those are liberals. Those have been, as far as I've been alive, that's been the attitude of the liberals towards profit. Because they, they've always hated profit. They view it as a dirty, necessary evil at best, and at worst, something to be eradicated. Those are bad ideas that leads to this Marxism. All that happened was that these ideas that liberals pushed for, do you think? Do you think that, okay, so I, I see a difference between equality of opportunity, which I think we should strive There's towards. There's no such thing as equality of opportunity. Equality of opportunity versus equality of outcome. No, but there There's, is, but, but you can strive to make things i'm not i understand i understand what you're saying we're never going to have equal opportunity and obviously individuals are different every individual circumstance is different when i say quality of opportunity i mean and i'll define it because people should define terms so they yeah, know we're on the same page i mean removing legal obstacles discriminatory legal obstacles that that make it harder that that limit the opportunity for people on the basis of immutable identity characteristics kind of um but you can't so like all, desegregating schools for example that was something we needed to do well what we needed to do was get rid of public schools altogether because when you have the government running schools you're going to end up with questions about well 
are you discriminating against poor people? Is it this? Is it that? But like the, the free market handles this. But this idea of, I think the embracing the idea of public education, and this is this other thing that really bothers me about this guy and his wife. At the very beginning, they're neurotic to the point of disease. At the beginning, I was like, whoa, you're freaking out about your two-year-old in a way that, like, as a parent of a 10-year-old, I'm like, I could not relate to the freak out and neuroticism they had over schools. And it was, it's like, Do you're you think just that's a function caught up in your own in a, like, Is that really a function of being in way. New York? Is that a New York thing, though? Because he seemed to paint it as, like, this is a New York thing. Maybe, but I think it's also an attitude thing. I mean, I, I know people like that in the Bay Area, but you know, he got caught up in the wrong rat race and blamed it on meritocracy as a thing, but he's in the wrong, he's, he's focusing on the wrong values of a meritoc- meritocratic system. So he's, it, it's this odd thing where liberals, you know, they, they eschew profit, but boy, are they really concerned only about material wealth as the, the measure of success. And like, that's where he seemed, his mindset for his kids seemed to be like, will he get into this school and go this and do that? Like, my mindset as a parent was, will my daughter be happy? What will make her happy and fulfilled? What does she need as an individual to make her life happy and fulfilled? That was well, basically it. He, I, I disagree because as he summed it up the way his daughter said at some point, he's not just, he's thinking about, are they, is she going to get a good education? Are they going to get a good education? Because if they fail, like, like his daughter's anxiety at some point, if I fell at this test, then I fell at middle school. If I fell at middle school, then I fell at high school. If I fell at high school, then I fell at college. And if I fell at college, then I fell at life. Now I think that's wrong. But I understand that his That's neurotic is what it right, is. Right, but but look, look, look at what look at the outcome. He he doesn't want let's let's back up for a second. This article for people, we should have done this at the beginning, but let's just do it now. Uh, this guy is named George Packer. This is in the current the October 2019 issue of The Atlantic. It's called When the Culture War Comes for the Kids. We we did um, do this. Oh, we did. Sorry. We pulled it up and we talked through it. Right, but we didn't. I read the first paragraph. I know, but we didn't name the guy or anything. I'm just titling it. I'm telling you, it's by George Packer. You can look it up. Um, Let's just go through it a a little bit. I know we read the first paragraph. Uh, I'm going to skip past some of the neuroses that you're talking about. Well, do you? Do you? I guess I just want to know where we. We don't have to argue about it now. I want to know where you stand. Do you think that he's right that this social justice thing is a different beast, or do you think that it's just liberalism? like more newer liberalism carried to its logical extension, because I think, I think it's the latter. I don't, I disagree, but maybe that's because I was in it and I, I can see where he's coming from. And also if anybody's going to have a chance of breaking through to people, liberals who are still caught up in this and who've been bullied and um, um, manipulated and brainwashed into thinking that this is good, it's, you're going to have to start talking. You're going to have to talk to them where they're at. And you're not talking to them where they're at. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I, no, my I, goal is not to, 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 I'm not talking to them right now. I'm talking to you. Right. right. But so. yeah, and I'm saying I agree with him more than I do you. Okay. So you think that this social justice stuff is some sort of, like, yes. came out of left field and is not related to liberalism? I do, because it used to be up in, it used to be, uh, I didn't, you know, the Martin Luther King speech, like, I dream of a world where my children are not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That used to be the ideal. It used to be about individualism. Well, it not really though. About- liberalism was always about equality and class struggle, right? Liberalism was always about, 
I mean, but about liberals slavery. instituted uh, quotas, like liberals instituted uh, affirmative which action, I, which I d- totally disagree with. I totally disagree okay, with. Well, then you weren't a typical liberal, but that's the typical liberal. That's at the been... time, no, at the time I agreed with it, but I don't think that is liberalism. My point is, it was. So you're rewriting liberalism way no, back I'm not. to a super def- old definition of liberalism. Yeah. Okay. Then yes. But my point is, there are certain legal. I believe in equality of opportunity if what that means is removing legal hurdles that are on the basis of, of race and gender, which necessarily means that I don't believe in putting in new hurdles on the basis of race and gender. <laughs> like, what, what's an example of, of a legal hurdle that you were talking about? Well, the schools used to be segregated. Like when my mom went through desegregation, she was at a white school and they, and they had black schools and the black kids couldn't go to the white schools and that's like a legal hurdle. That's something in the law that needs to be changed. Okay, so you're saying government-run institutions should not discriminate based on those things. Right. Okay, but that's not going to achieve your equality because all the left, I'll, I'll, I'll demonstrate what the social justice warriors did. All they did was look at basic stats, which they normally avoid facts if they're not in their favor, but this fact is in their favor. They looked at some basic stats and they said, well, uh, wealth is correlated to color of your skin. Therefore, um, there's... Therefore, this is not equal opportunity. Like you've been telling us, Carrie, we need equal opportunity. It's not equal opportunity. There is a barrier. And they're just implementing the barrier in a different way. They're doing it by discriminating against poor kids, which is racist. It's a racist way to discriminate against black kids. So that's why those laws are also barriers based on color of your skin. And we have no, to stick to this, this is a diff- This is where I would say this is a different beast. Because now you're not talking about legal barriers. That's why I always ask people when they talk to me about like, oh, institutionalized sexism or institutionalized racism. And I'm like, can you name, what law is it that you want to change? And they can't name one because they, so, so you think it's the government's job to fix a societal problem. If it, let's say, I don't even agree that the problem necessarily exists in the way that you think it does, but let's say it does for the sake of argument. It's not the government's job to then re, to, to socially engineer things in such a way. Well, but when you have the principle that it's the government's job to make sure there's equal opportunity, right? It's not the government's job to make sure there's equal opportunity. That's the fallacy. Once you think it's the government's job to make sure there's equal opportunity, it's a small step from saying we should have school desegregation, which is fine, to, well, we kind of de facto have segregation, which is what de Blasio is saying in New York City. We have de facto uh, segregation because of these economic things. And no. this, is, this, is an, this is an example of something that's not equal opportunity. And they're right. It isn't an equal opportunity. It isn't. That's not equal have, opportunity. No, but we have to redefine then what, that's why I defined what equality, I feel like we're getting in the weeds and we're not going to get to talk about this. No, I think we're getting to something really important because no. <sighs> okay. you're, you've, you've defined equal opportunity to be more narrow than the, the definition that is generally accepted. Well, I'm defining what it should be. My point is this progressivism is defining it incorrectly. Okay. We had to take a break because I got really upset with Carter. <laughs> uh, and so did my dog. Yeah, listen to Jack. He's still pissed off. Um, look, my whole point is I don't know what we're arguing about anymore. I really don't. And I don't have time to figure it out on this daily kafefi, which is supposed to be lighthearted. And we're supposed to get through things, even if serious things, in a concise manner. And whatever the point is that you're trying to make, you're, I'm not getting it, much less anybody who's on, the, who's on the left, who's caught up in this SJW stuff. 
they're not going to get it. They're not going to, you're not meeting them where they're at. That's my point. You're not meeting them where they're at. And so I fully get that. Look, I make a distinction between liberal and SJW and, and, and I would love to do a video on that sometime. It's very important to me, the distinction. And we, I have to create a space or I want to create a space where liberals feel safe to be like, I am still a liberal. I am rejecting SJWism. And what I feel like you're asking people to do is just reject all of the left. And that's, I think that's impossible and short-sighted and you're never going to get people to do that. And so that's, that's my point. And, and I get why some people do. I, there are people who I talk to all the time who don't draw that distinction and they just call it leftism. Fine. But I don't do that. No, I, um, I think that you're making a good, a good point. Um, I do think that liberals should question their premises, but you're right. That's probably not the best way to approach them on this topic or any topic for that matter. Um, I, and I, but I, I want to clarify, I do see a distinction between the social justice left and the liberals. Like I, there is a distinction. And, and further than that, actually, Carrie, one thing I'm learning from this conversation, there's a, even the word liberal is really ill-defined because some people mean it in a very classical liberal sense. Some people mean it, when I think of liberal, I think of like um, Bernie Sanders liberal, which is not no, classical liberal. That's not different. a, he's not a liberal. Well, e even four years ago, Bernie Sanders, right? Or whatever, right? Like that's right. kind of what I think. But um, I think maybe the term liberal is also not super well defined. But I, I hear you. I don't think um, I don't think the best way to convince liberals is to come at them with like, hey, your premises are have been wrong all along and they led to this. I agree with that. And I do think there is a uh, palpable difference between social justice and the more uh, you know, traditional liberalism uh, even if I think they're based on similar premises. So how would you approach them? What would you say, um, well, what would you say to, to these the, guys? Well, I would get back to the article because he's doing it. He's doing a great job of it. And I think it's a great piece despite what pro minor problems I have with it. Um, so he, this is a guy who is, is part of, has been part of the SJW left, in my opinion, that's my characterization. And he's starting to see the difference between SJWism and liberalism. I just want to read some relevant parts of this because this is a really great piece and it's long and people should, I know it's long, so let's just hit on some of the important parts. Mm -hmm. who, who was driving the new progressivism? Young people, influencers on social media, leaders of cultural organizations, artists, journalists, educators, and more and more elected Democrats. You could almost believe they spoke for a majority, but you would be wrong. An extensive survey of American political opinion published last year by a nonprofit called More in Common found that a large majority of every group, including black Americans, thought that, quote, political correctness, end quote, was a problem. The only exception was a group identified as, quote, progressive activists, end quote, just 8% of the population and likely to be white, well-educated, and wealthy. Other polls found that white progressives were readier to embrace diversity and immigration and to blame racism for the problems of minority groups. So they're more likely to do that than black Americans are. The new progressivism was a limited, mainly elite phenomenon. And this is something I've seen before and I think is important to point out is all of this wokeness is an elite phenomenon. It is a white upper class elite phenomenon predominantly. Yep. We've it talked is. about this before. Yes. Yeah. And you see it. That's why you see at kids at Yale 
screaming and crying about how oppressed they are, which is the most ridiculous, just, right. just ridiculous and disgusting concept to me. Um, but I, look, I, that, that point, I think, is a great one. And then later he talks about how, so this new progressivism, like, and I think he also is right when he, he talks about within the past five years, something changed and he highlights a few cultural touch points. Like a, uh, he highlights the uh, Ferguson stuff and he just, he just makes brief reference to a couple things. Kaepernick taking a knee, uh, the me too stuff um, and Ferguson and how this started to creep into culture and, and, and into the schools. So from his perspective, this is a guy who didn't start to notice this and maybe never would have noticed it, maybe just would have gone along with the crowd, except that it started to affect his kids' education. And yep. so suddenly, um, let's see, he talks about how the, the, it started with um, the school his kids were at, like they, they started to say, um, they shouldn't take standardized tests, that standardized tests are racist and oppressive or whatever. And there was this push and orthodoxy, as he, he called it, to, for the parents to opt out their, to make sure their kids didn't take the standardized tests. And he noticed that as this movement progressed, it wasn't just a, uh, it wasn't just a question of whether or not you want to do this and let me, let us give you the information on it. It was they were being coerced. The parents are being coerced and it was like a mob. It was a tribalist thing. And so in the end, something like 95% of the parents said their kids were not going to take the standardized tests. Right. And, and he described that room, that situation, that room where like the teachers weren't supposed to say anything, but they like held the meeting and relied on the vocal parents to put all the social pressure on the other parents to say, we're not taking the test either. Right. Our kids won't take the test. Um, yeah. 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 And so he has this point where he talks about, um, oh, here it is. Um, so this is supposed to be helping, quote, marginalized kids, right? And this is an excellent point that you and I brought up before. It's not actually even helping the kids it's supposed to help. So I like this paragraph too. It says something else about these opt-out movements troubled, the opt-out movement troubled me. It's advocates claim that the test penalized poor and minority kids. I began to think that the real penalty might come from not taking them. Opting out had become so pervasive at our school that the Department of Education no longer had enough data to publish the kind of information that prospective applicants had once used to assess the school. In the category of student achievement, the department now gave our school no rating. <laughs> no, no outsider could judge how well the school was educating children, including poor black and Latino children. The school's approach left gaps in areas like timetables, long division, grammar, and spelling. Families with means filled these gaps. So if you have money, you can fill these gaps, right? As did some families whose means were limited. Marcus's parents enrolled him in after-school math tutoring. When a girl at our bus stop fell behind because she didn't attend school for weeks after the death of her grandmother, who had been the heart of the family, there was no objective measure to act as a flashing red light. In the name of equality, disadvantaged kids were likelier to falter and disappear behind a mist of togetherness and self-deception. Banishing tests seemed like a way to let everyone off the hook. This was the price of dismissing meritocracy. That's another great revelation um, that he had, right? Yes. Um, yeah, no, it is. And it's, uh, I mean, meritocracy is how people 
that's how you get class mobility, right? That's how class mobility works through meritocracy. That's how it works. Um, unless you want to make everyone equally poor and dead, like, you know, Soviet Union. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, which it's, is, which is kind of what maybe they want to do. They don't care. Thing, one thing that you're right. Uh, they probably do want to do that carrier, right? Some of them do and some of them don't. Some, some of them, again, some people are well-intentioned, but there are some of them, it's like, well, uh, we don't like the stats that say that um, black and Latino kids are not achieving as high. So let's just get rid of the stats. Hey, guess right. what? Right. Well, black and let's Latino just get rid of achievement. <laughs> yeah, black and Latino kids aren't doing any better. You're just not measuring anything anymore. Right. Everyone's doing worse. Um, I don't know if this struck you about this article, but something that struck me about this article is, uh, is an attitude that I think is shared by a lot of people, which is this idea that um, school is a place where you go, you, you send your child to basically be raised, not just educated. And actually this guy's kid um, seems to question that. There's a part in here where the kid's like, it's, aren't I supposed to be learning how to read and do math, not other stuff? He, there's, there's some point where the kids make some comment like, isn't school for learning stuff? Yeah, um, imagine the, that. <laughs> right. But the parents actually, even this parent, the parents actually, because you can see it in their struggle for where, where should I send my child, um, they really viewed school as like, not this place to learn uh, specific subjects, but a place to learn um, the morals and kind of foundations of who they would be as an adult, rather than I think what used to be the case is um, parents used to feel like those all come from a home. You teach them reading, writing, and arithmetic. We'll teach them about community and tolerance and 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 beliefs and what's right and wrong and blah blah blah. But more and more parents, and you know, it seems like this is a dual income there you know both parents are working trying to put their kid in preschool when the kids too so um it doesn't sound like there's a stay-at-home parent taking care of the child so that's changed um that used to be common but they're really turning to these schools to do more more than just teach kids math or reading but they're turning to these schools to teach them how to be human beings and, and right. members of society and moral that education is not what schools are for yeah. especially government schools. Yeah, it's not for moral education. And by the way, and they're deciding which moral education it is, and it's this social justice morality. Well, necessarily, right? If you're going to hand someone else your kids to teach them moral education, that person has control over what the definition of moral education is, mm -hmm. right? And so that's, that's going to happen. And you might agree with social justice, and you might say, great, they're teaching stuff that I love. Send them there. But they also have the ability to teach stuff that you don't love. Um, it's really your responsibility as a parent to raise a moral individual, not the schools. And something that's really bothered me about this uh, shift in attitudes of parents is a lot of parents view their children as accessories or like just like a, a thing that they have, like the birth is the hard part and then we ship them off to school and someone else raises them. And that's not what having a child is about. And you're creating, this is how NPCs get created, right? Oh Even yeah. If you, like look at the projects this kid did. It was all the poor kids. I mean, one of the kids cried when Trump was elected. Kids shouldn't give a crap. I don't remember giving a crap about who was the president when I was in like elementary school. Well, I think that was another touching part of this piece to me too, is he talked about the effect of 
bringing politics and indoctrinating your children. He talked about the effect of it on his kids and how he and his wife made the decision to stop talking about politics with them and to right. stop like, and, and, and he even acknowledged, cause you can see this guy's still, this is why I said earlier he's struggling, he's struggling and he's still, you have to meet people where they're at. He's where I was when I maybe first started waking up to stuff. And so uh, you, you can't just discard everything all at once. And so he's even grappling with the question of, well, is, am I, is it my privilege that's allowing me to stop talking about politics? Cause that's what they tell you. They brainwash you that, with that. Right. It's, right. It's, it's similar to your, your back alley story of like, well, am I only worried about the guy who said he would F me up because I, because of his race? Like, oh, is, it, is it my yeah. privilege that makes me? Yeah. They make you question right. what is common sense and what is your gut. And I had someone tell me that once about, um, you know, I can't remember what it was, but it was something similar. It's like if you choose not to um, view the world this way and you, and you choose not to indoctrinate your children and put little political slogans on them and, and, you, and, and use them as, an, as a way to validate your own narcissistic political beliefs and worldview, which is what that is, I think it's sick. I think it's sick. I used to think it was so cute when I saw kids at protests because I was at protests all the time and, you know, I was, an S I was a freaking woke SJW. And, and now I look at that stuff and I, I, it's no different to me than the kids who go to the God hates fags protests. You're doing the right. same thing to your kid. You're doing yeah. the same friggin' thing and you feel morally just about it, just like the Fred Phelps people do about doing it to their kids. But you're not, he's, he comes to this realization in this piece. He's like, we should be teaching kids how to think, not what to think. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. Although, although interestingly enough, um, something that I, I, I thought about was he noticed that they're being taught what to think at some point, but it seemed like he was, he didn't notice that actually his child had been taught what to think all along. It was just part of it was what curriculum they focused on. And then it transitioned to, overt like lessons and when it switched to overt lessons he noticed it and went oh wait a minute you're teaching them what to think but even prior to that if i mean these poor kids if you look at the one kid he's his projects were all like he's worried about endangered species and the environment and like this and that like it's it's burdening these kids you we're raising a generation of neurotic kids because we're telling them about these huge problems where we take all the crazy hysteria of these problems we, we, we transmit to children and children don't have the sense to sort through it. Like when AOC says, uh, we have 14 months to save the planet. Adults, a lot of adults can look at that and go, yeah, yeah, it's hyperbole. Even if you agree with her generally, directionally, you can look at that and go, yeah, yeah, that's hyperbole. I understand. It's, you know, it's, I want to work on it, but it's not that catastrophic. But kids, they don't, they don't know how to do that. They actually think there's catastrophe. And these kids are... These kids are, I think, going to grow up absolutely neurotic that they're, they're frightened that everything is falling apart and the world is coming to an end. And that's just not true. The things that they're teaching, they're, they're indoctrinating partly just through what they focus on in curriculum, right? What they, what they focus on. I don't think kids need to care who's the president of the United States. I don't think kids need to care really about uh, the environment. And, and, and like, it's not a... It's not a problem that a 10-year-old can solve, and it's, it's a lot more complex than can be uh, transmitted with the nuance it deserves to a 10-year-old, mm -hmm. and so it shouldn't be part of their zeitgeist, but it well, is. Well, 
and like we've talked about before, there are part the parts of this this ideology it it creates self hatred in people, uh, not just for their um, their biological sex or their gender or their their race, but for being a human. Just what was for the quote? There's a quote in here. There's a quote in here. Yeah. So here, it's what you're talking about with the two kids. So this is after he talks about, you know, the president won and they were all crying, the family. And, you know, they, the the wife took the uh, the daughter to a, the, the women's march, which I was shaking my head like, no, gosh, no, that's not what your kid needs. But anyway, uh, so here, our son... Uh, Da, 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 da. It's halfway down. Yeah, halfway down. He'd been painfully aware of climate change throughout elementary school. First grade was devoted to recycling and sustainability. And in third grade, during a unit on Africa, he learned that every wild animal he loved was facing extinction. Quote, what are humans good for besides destroying the planet, he asked. Our daughter wasn't immune to the heavy mood. She came home from school one day and expressed a wish not to be white so that she wouldn't have slavery on her conscience. It did not seem like a moral victory for our children to grow up hating their species and themselves. We decided you know what, to cut down on the political talk around them. And you then know what this I is love part. about kids. Sorry, go ahead. Well, just this is the part about where he he addresses the question of whether or not um, it's his privilege that allows him to do that, which it's not. It's ridiculous. You have the privilege to do whatever SJW says that to you right here. Your privilege has spared them. No, it hasn't. You're being a stubborn, narcissistic ideologue if you force this stuff on your kids and, and you want to pretend, you want to pretend like people who do the healthy adult thing are privileged. If they're privileged, it, if they're privileged, their privilege is being sane and is, their privilege is caring about their kids. Do you know? Like it's not, it's not whatever you are pretending it is. That makes me so angry. <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing that, I, the thing that I love about, thing that I love about kids is often they inadvertently just distill a an attitude down to its bare naked essence in a way that grown-ups are afraid to do so like his son just saying like what the hell is what's humanity good for anyway but destroying the planet that's the entire philosophy of large portions of people in the United States but they don't say it that way because saying it that way makes them sound bitter and malevolent and unproductive. So that's not how they say it. But that's how he, he rightly interpreted that as, that is the message. That's the theme. Great job identifying the theme, kid. That's it. And his daughter identified one of the central themes of social justice, which was like, I wish I wasn't white because then I wouldn't have racism on my shoulders. Like, sweetheart, you don't have racism. Like, you were not responsible for slavery. You are not responsible for it. But, but social justice has it's, taught it's, for that. Yeah, and no race owns slavery. No right. individual, like, and no, and even if it did, you're not defined by your race. But right. it's, it's a, there's so many things wrong with that. But, but, she's, but it's an accurate sentiment that expresses the theme of what's being foisted on these kids. Oh, yes. Right. And a lot of times, the, you're right, the kids will distill what it's about where the adults will be in denial. Because a lot of white SJW adult SJWs they pretend like it's not about white guilt and like but it totally is they're walking around with this unearned guilt group guilt and and they try to get you to share in it and it's like no thank you I don't have any part of that <laughs> like you can keep it right right <laughs> so um. uh but I, so so there's another great part here where he talks about um 
uh, he, this is another, I, I just feel like I'm reading, I know this is long, but I feel like I'm reading a guy who is waking up to some stuff. And that's what I liked about this piece because I wrote my piece about waking up and that it resonated with a lot of people. And it was a very different kind of piece, but it was about waking up. And this piece, I'm hoping this is in the Atlantic. I'm like, maybe there are people who are going to read this and wake up a little bit to what he's saying, you know? Um, this part, question just a little bit of something. Yeah, right? just question a little bit of something. So he starts talking about um, identity because he correctly realizes that this new ideology is about identity. Uh, the battleground of the new progressivism is identity. And by the way, it's not progressivism, dude. Once you get far enough along and understanding what this is, you won't call it progressivism anymore. But uh, it is identity. And um, he goes on about identity for a while. He talks about um uh, the bathroom debate and how that the bathroom crisis and how it hit their school and how, yeah, one student decided to start using male pronouns and going by the letter Q as a first name. And the school, instead of just creating a gender neutral bathroom for that student, decided to get rid of gendered bathrooms at all and made both bathrooms, it used to say boys only, girls only, made them both say students. And so boys and girls are now using the bathroom together and the, they didn't think it was important enough to tell the parents that they were making this change. And so the way the parents found out were when kids were coming home, having to go to the having bathroom emergencies because they had been holding it all day, and girls had boys banging open the doors to the bathroom stalls on them, and boys not wanting to use the urinal because girls are in there. Like awful stuff that's happening to these kids without the parents even being considered. Like, right. hey, we're going to do this. Right. You know, and he's, and he's like, there was something heartbreaking about it because, because the adults couldn't figure it out that the kids just sort of started going back to the, the bathrooms as they, they started, the boys started using what had been the boys' bathroom and the girls started using what had been the girls' bathroom. And it's like, these kids had to figure this out on the, for themselves because the adults are so friggin' crazy. I actually <laughs> love that part. I love the part where yeah. the adults are like, it's all gender neutral. And the kids are like, Yeah. You know, it turns out we figured out what works. It's if boys go over here and girls go over there. Yeah. <laughs> they figured hey, it guess, out. Guess what, lunatic adults? <laughs> um, so then this, this part I want, this is another part I wanted to read. Just bear with me. Again, there's some, some great parts here. Okay, so this is another um, another kind of aha moment that he had, and he's, he's, he's correct about this. He goes, in, in politics, identity is an appeal to authority. The, this is exactly right. It's a fallacy. It's the fallacy of authority. It's an appeal to authority, the moral authority of the oppressed. I am what I am, which explains my view and makes it the truth. That's, that's SJW ideology in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. The politics of identity starts out with the universal principles of equality, dignity, and freedom, but in practice, it becomes an end in itself, often a dead end, a trap from which there's no easy escape and maybe no desire for escape. Instead of equality, it sets up a new hierarchy that inverts the old discredited one, a new moral caste system that ranks people by the oppression of their group identity. This is everything we talk about on Deprogram. He he's figuring out the system. He's figuring it out. Like, this is a guy, I like this article because you're watching a guy trying to articulate what he's discovering. Um, it makes race, which is a dubious and sinister social construct, an essence that defines individuals regardless of agency or circumstance, as when Representative Ayanna Presley said, and we've talked about this, Carter, quote, we don't need any more brown faces that don't want to be a brown voice. We don't need black faces that don't want to be a black voice, which is one of the most racist things you could say. 
By the way, you, you notice he's still got some weird beliefs, right? Race is a dubious and sinister social construct. No, it's not a social construct, right? Yeah. Um, so he's still, got, he's still got some of these beliefs. He just doesn't, he's starting to realize that like, he doesn't like the, he doesn't like where this is going. Right. Um, well, it's like when you watched my first, the very first interview that I did after I wrote my essay and I was mm -hmm. so nervous. I, I don't like public speaking and I've always viewed podcasts as public speaking and I've gotten much better at it and more comfortable with it. And I don't get as nervous beforehand as I used to. But the first one I did, I was like, I had to mentally prepare. I was so nervous. <laughs> Um, and I think I did okay. Although I watch it now, it makes me cringe. I've only watched it the one time because I was like, oh. Wait, which one are you talking about? The one that you watched where I was on the um, Glazoff yeah. gang. Oh, that yeah, one. Jamie Glazoff. Oh, you, yeah. 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 And you said, you said, I don't think you watched it until we had been doing the podcast for a while together. And then you said, hey, I found this interview of you and I watched it. And even since then, you've changed a lot because in that interview, you we were talking about how, of course, white privilege is real and stuff like that. Right. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you don't yeah. shed it all at once. You That's know? fair. You don't. Yeah. And Carrie, you were, uh, you were pointing out also, I didn't read these other articles, but you were, you shared a few other articles. This isn't just happening. We know it happens in California. Um, I think I even mentioned, maybe I mentioned the other day that California tried to, uh, their website tried to, uh, their website had some new curriculum thing they tried to push on people saying that capitalism and white men were, were bad, or males, not white men. Capitalism and men were inherently oppressive somehow. They took it down off their site after there was some backlash. But this is a, a California thing and a New York thing, but you said it's elsewhere as well that people should pay attention to. Well, there's this other piece, yeah, that I wanted to share. Um, and this one, it's a great companion piece, as my friend Steven said. This is in Real Clear Investigations, and this one is called Woke History is Making Big Inroads in America's High Schools by John Murawski. Um, and so it, just a couple things from here. Like growing numbers of public high school students across the country, many California kids are receiving classroom instruction in how race, class, gender, sexuality, and citizenship status are tools of oppression, power, and privilege. They are taught about colonialism, state violence, racism, intergenerational trauma, heteropatriarchy, and the common thread that links them, whiteness. Students are then graded on how well they apply these concepts in writing assignments, performances, and community organizing projects. And so all of this stuff here that they're talking about, this is stuff that I was indoctrinated with in college. I can't imagine I can't imagine if I had been indoctrinated with it in elementary school, how much harder it would have been. And maybe it wouldn't have been, maybe I would have started to see through it. Like some of these kids are starting to see through it, but it I might have I, become a joke, right? It might've been right. like, you know, the, the one thing I want to point out about this paragraph is um, it really like, I know there was the other, I think one sentence explanation of, of intersectionality that you said was, was a great one sentence description. And, and I agree it was, but another great one sentence description is basically just, and it's a racist description. It's just hatred of whiteness. That's basically how all of this is based on hatred of whiteness. Um, and all, all of these, you know, colonialism, state violence, racism, intergenerational trauma, heteropatriarchy, like the common thread that they, they, they claim there is whiteness. And the truth is. And maleness, um, hateness of maleness. Yeah. And, and, 
you know, racism isn't uniquely white. Uh, the Arab slave trade was 20 times the North American slave trade, right? There were more, there were more whites that were slaves in North Africa than there were slaves in the U.S. But this is not stuff we talk about. Right, and slavery's not over. The There's still slavery in lots of parts of the world, but we don't talk about that either because it doesn't fit the narrative. That's right. I think you could last, I mean, I heard the rumor that you can, you can get a slave on the open market in, in Libya now for 400 bucks. Oh, yeah. Right? after destabilization of Libya. There is real, there are real, there's real slavery out there in the world, but we don't talk about it. We, we talk about um, a small percentage of the population of America 200 years ago or 150 years ago who owned slaves and blame all whites now on that. that yeah. That's all, that's their fault, right? So he um, goes on to list a couple of examples of what's happening in California, right? Um, and, and these are all things where you're turning kids into, this makes me think again of uh, the lecture I heard from uh, Professor Jonathan Haidt, who was talking about the two different ideas of what university is supposed to be. One being um, John Stuart Mill, like, or the idea is that you're searching for truth. The idea of university is knowledge and truth. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's the ideal. You should be there to learn, to attain knowledge, and in the pursuit of truth. Um, but the other way of looking at the other ideal is this Marxist ideal, which is that the, the, the purpose of university is that you're there to be turned into a little activist, to be indoctrinated with the correct ideology and go out into the world and make the world a better place. And so you can either educate, you can either educate kids or you can turn them into activists. And, and yeah. the college is leaning this way forever. And now the elementary schools are doing it and, and yeah. you get, they get credit. Look at this one. They get credit, um, just like in one of the other articles we read, where the college students were getting credit for going and then indoctrinating high school kids. Yep. Um, there's an example here where the high school kids are getting credit for going and indoctrinating middle school kids. <laughs> right. Right. Yep. <laughs> like spread this to kids younger than you, and you'll get credit for it. Yep. I'm sorry, I I, I, I No, I mean, it was kind of a tangent, but it, it was, you know, the, the, this, this, this radical activist political ideology has really, really bad philosophy behind it, but it's the kind of philosophy that if you say out loud is so ridiculous that no one would believe that that's actual philosophy. Like, and so what they do is they, um, I, I would argue that they probably think that they, you know, your, your two forms of the university, like one's about pursuing truth and one's about activism, they would probably argue that, well, the truth is, the truth leads you to have to do activism. It's <laughs> art, and, and they would argue, I mean, they have some really messed up views on truth, like metaphysically and epistemologically, their views are really weird. So they'll, they'll, there is no truth, or my truth is different than your truth, or the only truth that matters is based on this. So they redefine these terms in a way that... Um, to the outside observer, if all they did was speak on philosophical terms, you would dismiss them out of hand as stoned or high or whatever. You'd be like, this is, you guys are crazy. But they don't. They use them, and very few intellectuals actually understand the, the philosophic basis of the, the political conclusions that they've drawn, and then they just foist the political conclusions on you. But if anyone really challenges and they want to get into deep, they can kind of justify it by, by using these uh, bromides about how, well, truth is relative and like, so you can't blame, we are looking for truth, right? Right. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sleight of hand. Yeah, it's a sleight of hand. And then they basically force this down your throat by um, 
just like in the previous piece, the way they were trying to force it down the parent's throat that the kids should not take standardized tests is, is it's the only one acceptable truth and anything else makes you a bigot. Yes. <laughs> and so, yeah. So look at this Santa Monica high school students organize and carry out a quote, systemized campaign for social justice that can take the form of a protest, a leaflet, a workshop, a player research project. They demonstrate their mastery of the subject matter by teaching about social justice to middle schoolers. And by the way, Carrie, as someone who used to live in, in Southern California, would you like to tell the audience who's not familiar with Santa Monica what the eh, demographics of the Santa Monica high school oh, probably are? I taught there. I taught SAT prep there. It's a lot of rich, white children. There you go. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so once again, this is, this is the elite, right? Um, but it's moving beyond that. And this article shows that. So then they talk about uh, uh, at this, this school in Lawndale that students are assigned to write a, quote, breakup letter with a form of oppression, in quote, such as toxic masculinity, heteronormativity, <laughs> Eurocentric career. Goodbye, I'm breaking up with you the idea that heterosexuality is uh, the norm. Uh, well, I'm sorry, but it's factual that it is the norm. <laughs> What do they mean? Like, um, do they mean like a breakup letter in like romance breakup? Yeah. You know what this made me think of? How do you reference the Dakota Access Pipeline when breaking up with your girlfriend? No, I, I'm not sure about that one, but I know what they mean. So when I quit, when I quit smoking, my, um, my hypnotherapist who helped me quit had me write a breakup letter to cigarettes. Oh, I <laughs> and see. I, yeah. So they're, they're, these kids are having to go home and write homework. Like, like, like imagine a, a male student comes back with a paper that's like, Goodbye, toxic masculinity. I see. Served me well. And you've, these are all the things I like about you and all the unfair advantages I've had. But I'm going to have to break up with you because you're toxic and blah, you know. And okay, <laughs> you, okay. So they're breaking <laughs> up with like concepts. Yes. Which, which like, is interesting because, um, wow, that's a really interesting form of indoctrination because breaking up with a concept implies that you never need to consider it again. Um, it never, no, it's, it's not no, to ever be reconsidered. No. Well, I guess, I guess I see what you mean, but they, what they mean is they're not going to, it's like breaking up with your privilege. You're right, not saying it doesn't What I mean by exist. that is like, right. once you've broken up with the thing, you can never, you don't get back together with your broken up thing at that oh, point. Oh, I see. It's an other now. And you've established, you've written that like, I'm, I'm against that. That thing is not part of me anymore. And so you're, you're right. making your identity as like, I no longer... I no longer am bought into this thing. It's, it's kind of it, a, it's another version of them. Yes. It's another version of them seeking absolution for their sins. Yes. And it's an attestation, which, which um, has, when you, when you do an attestation, you're linking that thing to your identity. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so they're now like linking it a little bit more to their identity than they would if they were just, you know, teaching, hey, this is, this is the concept of toxic masculinity, blah, blah, blah. Saying write a letter, breaking up with toxic masculinity is, is now making that part of your identity, not just some knowledge you've learned. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I want to skip on down to something. So they start talking about places outside of California mm -hmm. and the ethnic studies movement, which has been underway for years. Um, California is now looking at expanding this approach in a proposed state statewide curriculum. Um, they want to make ethnic studies a high school graduation requirement. So indoctrination is a requirement to graduate high school. Um, they talk about how two years ago, the Indiana 
uh, legislature mandated that high schools offer ethnic studies elective. Um, they move on to talk about Texas and a few other places. But here's one thing I wanted to highlight to you. I don't know if you noticed this or not. Um, is uh, sometimes they, they say the truth. You, you were like, I like it when people tell you who they are. Often they do by mistake. They just by tell mistake. you who they are. Yeah. Yes. So uh, up here, this person who opposes this says, um, you know, this is indoctrination rather than education. You're totally right. It comes dangerously close to turning the American ex to turning American exceptionalism on its head. Yes, we're exceptional, exceptionally evil. It is mindful of re-education camps in Vietnam or China. It is indoctrination rather than education. So what comes next? That's at, perfect, by the way. Perfect at, analysis. Perfect analysis. So that is exactly what it is. So yep. then look at this. Advocates, <laughs> advocates say that the field of ethnic studies has a special mission distinct from other academic subjects. You don't say it has a special mission, almost like it's <laughs> um, Quote, I oftentimes think of ethnic studies as radical social action, mm. said Julia Jordan Zachary, a professor and chair of the Department of Africana Studies at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, and president of the Association for Ethnic Studies. Quote. You no, know, that's something that all three of us can agree on, Carrie. We also yeah. often think of it as radical social action. As radical social action. And look at her very next sentence. Quote, it is education and knowledge that's produced to influence social change, she said, which makes it different in part from other types of disciplines whose primary concerns are, quote unquote, to simply produce knowledge. <laughs> End quote. So, so the one thing she gets wrong here is it's not education. It is indoctrination, but she's right that the whole intent of it is to produce, to influence social change and that it's very different from disciplines whose goal it is to impart knowledge. <laughs> right. Like, and, and again, this is, um, I'll go back to what I said before. This is related to um, making part of the responsibility well, or, or uh, abdicating responsibility as a parent for morally educating and shaping your child's um, uh, worldview yourself rather than um, just giving it, you know, giving it to the school, abdicating the responsibility for doing that and just giving it to someone else. Because um, it's going to be people like that lady who, you know, who teach your child that this is a moral, here, here's a moral system. Let me hand you this and you can feel right. like a good person. Right. You should be, you should be uh, opposing to the, uh, North Dakota pipeline. You should be opposing toxic masculinity. You should be a good little NPC doing these things. That's how to be a good person. And I don't think schools did that in the past. No, they didn't. This is new and, and it's alarming and it's spreading. So this goes on um, to talk about how uh, expanding to the K-12 level. Oh my gosh, how it's, it is meeting with some resistance, but um you know, it's not just California, Arizona, Texas, um, uh, here we go, Oregon and Vermont are next in the queue, both developing statewide ethnic studies standards. Oregon's proposed standards, which have not received final approval, would introduce first graders to such concepts as racism, gender identity, and systems of power. First graders. And first graders. This is what happens when you concede the humanities to crazy Marxists, people. I mean, this, yeah. is, this is what happens. Years later, they, they control your kids. Yeah. To him. 
Uh, there is no single approach to teaching ethnic studies and teachers are encouraged to adapt the materials to the needs of their communities. A common feature of the classes is discussing how oppression, now again, they're doing this with first graders and even kindergartners, how oppression and privilege shape one's group identity, whether white or black, straight or gay, male or female, binary or non-binary, among the identity categories commonly recognized in the discipline. Um, this is really funny here. Um, by, by the way, wait, hold on. You know okay. what I love about kids, like young kids? I remember this when my daughter was really young at the playground. Young kids are, I mean, unless you're teaching race at home, young kids are just colorblind by them. Like they're just, they don't care. It's not a, it's not a feature that they care about. And uh, I remember I was on the playground when my daughter was really young and it was mostly whites and Asians on the playground because of where we live. And um, there was, I think, like maybe one or two African-American. There was probably some Latino kids as well, but there was an Af a couple African-American kids. And I remember uh, my daughter came up to me and she said, oh, I wanna, I'm going to go play ball with this one girl or whatever. And I said, oh, who? Like, just point them out to me so I can you know, pay attention to where you are and what you're doing. Um, and she was pointing and she was like, that one, that one, the one in the purple jacket. And they all had like clothes that were weird colored or whatever. So like purple jacket was hard. Like I finally found the person with the purple jacket and it was a um, African-American child. And I, it, and it registered in my head that like most adults see that child as like, Oh, this is the color of her skin. And this is the color of everyone else's skin. And I'm going to point this person out by identifying the racial features of that person. But the kids are like the identifying characteristic for her was her purple jacket. Her jacket was purple as opposed to everyone else's. And I thought to my, like, that's the world I want. That's the world I want. I want the world where like, that's her identifying feature. It's like, oh, it's the purple jacket. We're not classifying people based on, on race. And uh, that's not what we're doing. Anymore. No, well, I agree that the kids have to be taught what race is or to focus on it as something that's really important. But I also don't think that that's necessarily the world we want as adults because that requires ignoring, like, like a lot of SJWs pretend they, they will go out of their way. Like a white SJW, if there's been adults, a white SJW would have gone out of their way not to say the black guy in the Oh, no, jacket. I don't mean that that's the world I want. I mean, I, I want the world where that's not your first thought, that like right. you look at people as individuals, not as members of, of, of categories. And like, right, but if that's an easily identifiable characteristic, my whole point is SJWs will go out of their way when it's the easiest thing to refer to because. And, and the same thing with gender because they don't want to assume genders. So they'll go out of their way to be like the, the purple jacket. Let's say they're all wearing purple jacket. Right. Well, the slightly darker purple jacket. Yeah, that's um, not what I meant. But right, yeah, I, I get, know. But I, I get what you're saying. saying right? And actually, Carrie, they do it on, you'll notice, if you notice the news start, started doing it, um, they didn't want to, and, and actually even I think there was some issues where police were doing it where um, like they wouldn't, they didn't want to say the suspect they, is black. Yeah, right? they won't. They won't say the the race of the suspect if the suspect is not white. That is starting to happen. <laughs> right, which is which makes finding the suspect difficult, because um, you know there are attributes. If I'm seven oh feet gosh. tall and and an albino, you should probably say that on the like it makes me easier to find. But if you're going to be like the guy in the purple jacket, like ah. We should really do a sketch video of a of a police sketch artist who's trying to draw, and the and the witness keeps saying, "Well, and he was black," and he's like, Whoa, "And what color were his eyes?" <laughs> like, and, but you we didn't make him black. Well, uh. <laughs> I think yeah. We, we could also do a sketch where um, 
We could also just do a, a totally woke sketch where there's a crowd of people with like <laughs> one black person um, yeah. who's wearing similar clothes to everyone else yeah. and just someone trying to point them out without mentioning. <laughs> it's exactly what would happen, yes. Dude, those sketches would be hilarious. Oh, and by the way, same thing with gender. The, 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 yes. the, the witness, yeah. like, and it was a man. Oh, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, and then it's just like this amorphous <laughs> sketch. A very non-offensive. Actually, actually, you know at the end of the, you know that when it when you reveal the sketch, it should be just the, the NPC face. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes, that's what it should be. Yeah. Uh, okay, we just wrote a sketch, guys. We need money so we can make it. Okay. Yeah. I might cut that part out and save it for us for later, but yes. <laughs> okay. Um, I think you should leave it in. It's funny. No. Um, da, 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 da. Okay, one other thing I just want to say about this quickly, because um, I know we have to wrap this up. Um, but, oh, here. So they're talking about how teachers are kind of winging this and what they're what they're teaching, right? Which makes for some weird interesting things so um that it talks about how in north carolina 10th graders were asked at the to do a diversity inventory this is what you and i talked about already yeah it's the same school bit. district actually that we talked yeah. about yeah and um uh and that so one former school board member who was gay gay who's gay expressed dismay on his own facebook page that lgbtq students were being asked to announce their sexual orientation and to out others in the community because they had to take stock of who everyone's identity and their family and then tell right, my doctor's gay. What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, and this is one I saw at the time, which I know I've mentioned at least once before in an episode was, um, this kid who, this was also in North Carolina, a mom complained because her eight year old son. So this is what, like third grade brought home a handout explaining white privilege. And she complained. Now the knee jerk reaction from SJWs would be, you know, well, this white woman just doesn't want, you know, her, her internal biases and her own racism doesn't want her kid learning about white privilege. No, no, no. The mom was black and Hispanic. <laughs> and she's like, my son was confused because the handout seemed to be saying that whites are superior. Yeah, that's what it is saying. <laughs> <People are racist. laughs> We've talked about this before. The stuff that they're teaching kids, especially in the New York schools, which we started off this episode talking about the New York schools, um, since de Blasio has started instituting this very racist program of getting rid of standards so he can, which is punishing, punishing Asian kids, by the way, um, so that he can be happier with the percentages of black and Latino students. Um, he's hurting a lot of poor um, Asian kids of immigrants. Um, and then, so he's, he's this guy that he appointed, this czar, what's his name? Richard something, I forget, but yeah, yeah. Carzon or whatever. We did a whole video on him. He, he, what he's been teaching is, we, is all about white supremacy, all this ideology that we've talked about. And as we did a video, Carter and I, if you guys haven't seen it, we should put the link here in the uh, comments, but every, everything they're teaching, like white supremacists would be happy to teach your kids the same things. <laughs> yes. right? Like they're teaching that, you know, being on time and, um, turning things in on time and being being expected to meet standards are all um symptoms of whiteness right success right. being successful like what are you teaching kids this is so racist <laughs> it's so it is so racist <laughs> by the way uh it was the other article it wasn't this one but um in that other article that first one carrie there's an example i'm just gonna can i just read yeah uh a teacher in saratoga springs new york 
found a privileged reflection form online with an elaborate method of scoring and administered it to high school students. That's the, that's the setup. Here's the punchline. Unaware that the worksheet was evidently created by a right-wing internet troll, it awarded Jews 25 points of privilege and docked Muslims 50. <laughs> I, love, <laughs> I love that the internet trolls control high school teachers. It's awesome. It's, <sighs> that's how laughable this is. Like, we could make, we could make this... We, sh we could make really horribly offensive materials and put it out there and some of these teachers would be using it. Yeah, like, well, we, like for 10 bucks, you could, you could register a website that had some social justice name to it, make, look, make it look like you're some organization and just start cranking this crap out and teachers everywhere would use it. Yeah, that's why some sites like everydayfeminism.com, people, people will look at that and doubt, that was, is this a right-wing troll? No, it's real. Right. <laughs> they really teach this stuff. Anyway, okay, I know we have to wrap this up, um, and I appreciate you guys hanging with me during my emotions, especially Carter, who I yelled at, which hopefully is going to get cut out, <laughs> and then I cried, which is going to get cut out. That, don't worry, I'll cut the crying out, definitely. Thank you. <laughs> I, I was really happy. I don't mind the yelling. I like when you get it animated, so I don't know how much of that I'll cut out, but I'll cut out the crying. Well, I think I used the F word against you or something. I don't think we should leave that in. Okay. Maybe I didn't, but I was very forceful. I don't like it. I, that's why I cried. I felt bad. <laughs> anyway. Well, um, we are in agreement on the craziness of this. And, um, you know, I think it is... Uh, I think if you're... I don't know how many people who call themselves liberals watch, but I'm sure there's some. Yeah. And... Uh, if you call yourself a liberal, uh, I think you should probably question this, a lot of the, the consequences of, of what's going on here in this social justice indoctrination. This is indoctrination of children. And it's not, you know, a lot of liberals, I remember in the past, liberals used to think of themselves as individualists. Um, individualists don't, individuals don't push for mass indoctrination of children for particular beliefs. That's not an individualist stance and if you fancy yourself as an individualist then this is all stuff to be pushed back uh on and and individualists make room for people to disagree and they recognize that different families are going to instill different values in different kids and that's fine and it's none of your business so and just this week just anecdotally just this past week i've heard from two different friends who are parents one in new york and one in oregon who are going to their kids' school board and are pushing back. And yep. because they're looking at the materials, they're looking at the stuff their kids are being indoctrinated in, and they're saying, hey, this is not okay, and you better get ready for a lawsuit if you continue down this path. Yep. Yeah, and I, we know some, we both know someone in California. And we know someone in California doing the same thing. But just this week, I heard of two other, and I just thought, this is a thing. I think parents are starting to wake up that this is, they're starting, it's starting to touch them like it touched this guy. I hope so. And, you know, the, the silver lining might be that this, this guy mentioned a few examples of things that were happening in the school in reaction, like kids were reacting in, in ways. Um, one of them was uh, they that they started handing out um, black kids, I guess, were, were selling or exchange trading cards to white kids that would allow the white kid to say the N-word all day long um, <laughs> while he carried the card. <laughs> So like 
the kids are just making fun of it. Uh, and that's, you know, if that's the result, uh, good. I think maybe, maybe, um, when you've turned into the authority, the, the, the new punk, the new anti-authority thing is going to be pushed back against the woke culture. Well, hey, and that's, that's industriousness and that's free trade and, and free enterprise, right? The blackheads are like, wait a minute, I have something you don't have. I have the ability to say that anywhere. Well, I will sell it to you. Right. Yeah. I don't know if the black kid, when he sells it, maybe doesn't use it all day. Is that the exchange? I'm not sure. I don't sure. know, but I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny nonetheless. Um, all right. Well, thank you, Carrie, for coming back. Thank you for uh, having a good discussion on this. And thanks everyone to wa for watching. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, share. Um, I don't know what else. What else are we not telling them, Carrie? Anything else? Uh, no. We'll see you guys tomorrow. And we're we're going to be voting. Uh, everybody, thank you who submitted suggestions for the next book club selection. Um, if you guys want to uh, get in on that, we have a Facebook page called Unsafe Unsafe Space Book Club. And you can ask to join and people are currently recommending books. We're going to compile like the top few of those into a poll and, and we will vote on it.